So I was at Refuge Coffee Company in uh, downtown Clarkston the other day, and I put two books in front of me, and one of them was a children's book. It was called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Just a very beautifully made uh, book of Bible stories for kids that focus around the person of Jesus. And the other was the Communist Manifesto by Marx and Engels. And I was sitting there with those two books in front of me, and I was thinking, you know, only in the world of literature could I take two forces that have historically or culturally been so opposed and have a space where I can sit down with a cup of coffee and explore both of them together in community with interesting people around me. And I think that kind of exploration is what we're about here on What Are You Reading? We want to provide a context where you can listen to interesting conversations, hear about books worth exploring, and encounter new ideas. We're really thankful to have a very special guest with us today. I'm Ian North. And I'm Tim Rhodes. And yes, we want to introduce our guest today. We're very, very happy to have him on. Um, uh, you may have heard of the blog Blue Babies Pink, and uh, he is the author behind that blog. Welcome, Brett Trapp. Thank Thanks. you so much for being here. Appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. It's we, exciting. Oh, we've been, we've been looking forward to it. Uh, first of all, before we jump into questions, we're going to do a quick dive around the table. Uh, what are you reading? Who wants to go first? You want to go first, Ian? What are you reading? Yeah, well, uh, the two I mentioned, I've been working through the Jesus Storybook <laughs> Bible because I teach it to kids on Sunday at the church where I work. And um, uh, also reading the Communist Manifesto. We're just kind of in a in a time, I think, like in our country where we just need to revisit ideas that we hadn't considered yeah. thoroughly before and um, ideas we had taken for granted. Just kind of pull them all up, yeah. put them on the table and say, where are we? How did yeah. we get here? And where are we going? So yeah. I've started with some some of That's those awesome. basic texts. And then as far as fiction, which is really where my heart is, uh, I just finished recently a book called Thus Bad Begins by Javier Marias, a Spanish mm -hmm. author. Um, and it was just this really rich exploration of things that are kind of hidden mm -hmm. and like political grievances and personal ones and what happens when we come to the light when they come to light and what are the different ways we deal with those no. so i finished that and then i picked up another one of his books uh called the man of feeling um mm -hmm. and it's about an opera singer it was much more internal so he's like he's like the story is kind of juggling between dreams and memories he has mm -hmm. and the other characters don't really manifest themselves as people in the story like you don't really feel them or you don't you don't yeah. see their skin and bones you know um and the only time actually the the big love interest of the story the only time you really really see her is when he's like first encounters her and she's asleep on a train um oh. so it's really interesting it was a more internal book and i think these days in terms of fiction I'm looking for things that like take the landscapes of real people and just run them against each other and yeah. see see what forms. So uh, it was a beautiful book, just really sober and slow moving and elegant. But I just uh, it didn't connect with me like his other one, his newer yeah. one, uh, Thus Bad Begins was. But those are the main things I'm reading right now. Awesome. How about you, Brett? So I'm right in the middle. Um, actually, I'm about a third of the way done with a book called Guns, Germs, and Steel. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, it's it. kind of a classic. I think it won a Pulitzer um, maybe, gosh, 10 years ago. And so I'm, I'm late to the party on this book. But um, it's a it's one of these big, thick, kind of intimidating books, which actually intimidate <laughs> the heck out of me. Um, but I love nonfiction. I, I don't I don't do much fiction. But um, but this book is uh -huh. awesome. It's basically a guy who's gone back. It's, it's a book about world history and the three kind of dominating forces, guns, germs and steel. And the part I'm at now is all about sort of the history of domestication of animals and domestication of plants. Mm -hmm. And it's a really fascinating look at like, you know, why did um, 
in Greece, they domesticated wheat, mm -hmm. you know, in 4,000 BC, but in North America, that took, you know, uh, 3,000 years later for them yeah. to kind of work on that. And so wow. it's a really fascinating look at how sort of climate, sociology, anthropology all kind of work together to have mm -hmm. different civilizations sort of evolving and growing at different times. So, yeah, um, yeah it's really cool. Uh, it's uh, it's a little bit more academic than my taste. I don't consider myself <laughs> an academic, but um, it's interesting enough to keep a, a kid from Alabama like me involved. So awesome. I'm digging it. It's fun. Cool. That's great. How about you, Tim? I am. So I'm reading two books and they're wildly different than each other. Uh, right now I've got, um, I'll, I'll start with the lighthearted one first. Have you guys seen the movie The Room? Not yeah, Room that came out a couple years ago. This is one from is like it a rival to the Shack. I feel like no. it's for a sequel to the Shack. It's no. not even that good. Not, yeah, the Shack would be like a masterpiece. So this is kind of a lot of people have said this is probably the worst movie ever made. But for that, it becomes hilarious. Like it's one of the, it's 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 ridiculously bad. It's awful. But um, I'm reading a book by one of the uh, one of the main characters. Uh, his name is Greg Sestero. I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. It's called The Disaster Artist, and it's basically his behind-the-scenes look at how this movie was made and how, um, if you think the movie is is crazy at all and just insane, things were like 10 times worse than that behind the scenes. And so it's been a lot of fun to, I mean, I'm, I say it's been a lot of fun. I'm like chapter two, but I'm already just hooked. I mean, it is already yeah. unbelievable how much, like the, the main the main character in the movie, or the main actor, he was also the producer, director, editor. He did all of it. And he's just not good at any of that. Like he is, he is horrible. He, yeah. Anyway, so, uh, so it's, so far it's been really funny and that's been great. Um, I've also been reading a book. This is nonfiction. It's a series of essays uh, by a feminist civil rights leader from during the civil rights movement, Audre Lorde. Um, she's got a, a, actually a book I picked up here called Sister Outsider. And it's just a, a collection of essays, kind of a late seventies, eighties, around the time she, I, I think that was around that time she got a breast cancer diagnosis. And um, kind of was her, some of the speeches are kind of her dealing with that and realizing her mortality and realizing, hey, you know, during this movement, um, black women have been visible, but not really able to to speak out or identify themselves. And so um, it's been I'm only I'm, I'm probably halfway through uh, these speeches, but they've been really, really great. And so they're two wide of very different different books, but they've been they've been That's really cool. great. Yeah. Can I add one more? Oh, please. This yeah, is not what in. I'm totally, reading, totally. but it's, it's what I'm going to read. <laughs> no, uh, I just discovered this guy recently named Richard Beck. Mm -hmm. um, he's a psychologist uh, at, at Abilene Christian University, but uh, he has done a ton of study around the uh, psychology of disgust. Mm -hmm. And there's a book he wrote in 2013 called Unclean, and it's all about... Um, how humans we have a disgust response and when mm -hmm. we are when that disgust response flares up it causes us to kind of pull back yeah. Yeah. and he applies it to so many different um things in life he talks about how uh, disgust is a learned thing mm -hmm. humans learn it the same way we learn language and so yeah. he talks about how kids um kids will pick up something off the ground and eat it yeah. because they don't <laughs> they don't know that's disgusting until they're they're taught that mm -hmm. and then he does an experiment where he he'll he'll have people he'll give them a red solo cup and have them spit in the cup and then he'll say all right i want you to drink it yeah. And like nobody wants to do it. And they're like yeah. disgusted by it. But it's irrational because it's like, wait, that was just in your yeah. mouth, you know, <laughs> five seconds ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but he, he kind of correlates it with with religion um, in some mm. really interesting ways to talk about how when disgust is present, love cannot exist. Hospitality cannot exist. Mm -hmm. um, saying it's basically psychologically impossible for you to be disgusted by someone and to love someone. Yeah. And then wow. he sort of takes it and talks about how Jesus was kind of constantly overcoming his own disgust response and engaging with people that the culture found disgusting. So anyways, yeah. uh, I haven't read the book. My, my new thing now is when I hear of a 
great book. I go to iTunes and I try to find a podcast that the author mm-hmm. has appeared on. Oh, wow. <laughs> because they'll, in that podcast, yeah. they always talk about like the mm-hmm. highlights and the most interesting yeah. parts. And so, um, so I've been listening to some Richard Beck podcasts, but the book Unclean is on my list. So, uh, yeah, that's really check that interesting one out. how mm-hmm. we learn, discussed. I that's hope really that, yeah, I hope that. I feel like uh, we've talked about this in the past on the podcast, but there are two real contexts where that kind of like natural disgust we have, which might have been learned inappropriately or unnecessarily. The two ways we can kind of encounter that instinct or work our way through or past it are in personal relationships with people, right? Unlikely Mm -hmm. friendships or in literature. And so we're kind of trying to Mm. pull both of those in to help people like understand ideas. We had uh, a guest of ours was an anarchist. So she's really into radical political thought. And we talked about how like, if you have a real relationship with an anarchist, and then you have a safe space where you can read the books, then you can consider and see what's worthwhile. Whereas like the natural human thing is just Mm -hmm. to be like, Oh, I have a, I have a disgust. That's too far out there. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So that'd be an interesting book to read. We should add it to the... And we do have a Goodreads list. So every book you mention, cool. and then we yeah. mention on this podcast, we'll go into a Goodreads list so people can check out those books you're in. Yeah, if there's something you mentioned, they they can't remember the name or something, they can always go back there and kind of look through what we've talked about for that cool. episode. So it's great. Yeah. Well, we both read... Tim Tim got on the Blue Baby's Pink bandwagon, like, episode one. And was... that's not trying to get any street cred, I promise. <laughs> it's just that was it was that um it was that engaging and exciting at first. Yeah, and he knew I, you before you were cool. It was totally <laughs> it was totally random. I mean, I don't even remember how someone just passing it along through work and um I was just just there was a couple prologues and I, I, I loved about I mean, even just that, I I was so I was just I was all in. I was ready to go and I yeah. was excited and so uh, Brett, why don't you tell us what, first of all, the blog is called Blue Baby's Pink and it was a 44 day series. Um, and I have to say that 44 days, I mean, every morning, that might be the first thing I would do when I was up. I was like, oh, I wonder if there's a new post yet. And I would go there. That was like, that was what kept me going back to the internet those that fall. And, uh, can you tell us about the bot? I know this is a probably big question, but just like an overhead view about yeah. Blue Baby's Pink and, um, Oh, man, just just kind of give us just an overhead view. of that. Yeah. So I grew up in a little town called Florence, Alabama. I'm the son of a pastor, Southern Baptist pastor of a large church. Grew up in a great Christian home. Uh, the youngest of three boys went to a Christian high school, played football, basketball, uh, did student government, went to college, joined a fraternity, became fraternity president. And uh, and all this time was sort of hiding the secret that I was that I was mm-hmm. gay. And so um, being a, a Christian person, male in Alabama, uh, that's not something you necessarily yeah. want to discover about yourself <laughs> yeah, at a young age. And so, um, so like many other uh, LGBT folks before me, just sort of um, retreated into the closet. And so, um, so yeah, the blog that I wrote, Blue Baby's Pink, um, I really, it was my attempt at sharing that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I had begun sort of taking notes on this process in around 2007 in my 20s and um, really just had the sense of, Brett, you need to put this story out there for yeah. whatever reason, maybe someone out there needs it. And so, um, so yeah, uh, told the story of kind of elementary school, childhood, middle school, high school, college, and then into career mm-hmm. of just what it was like being a person of faith in a conservative community with virtually all of my friends being evangelical folks, you know, what it was like um, having sort of this secret that I was really running from and, um, you know, really just submerged myself into workaholism and became a workaholic. That was kind of my main coping mechanism. Um, and then just dug, dealt with a lot of loneliness, um, a lot of singleness. I never... 
um, really gave myself permission to pursue a relationship because mm-hmm. I thought that, that God would not be okay with that. And so really committed through my 20s to a life of singleness and celibacy. Um, and so really just wrote about that journey of what that was like um, moving through life, knowing you're going to be perpetually alone. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of emotion, a lot of tough stuff involved, but um, but it was a really kind of healing process just yeah. writing it and putting sure. it all together. And so, um, so yeah, I'm glad wow. you found it and I'm glad you checked it out. And I'm glad, yeah, to hear yeah. people say that they found it engaging and interesting. And yeah. uh, that's really what I wanted to do with the story was make it um, not just a kind of a glib or quick or um, a hasty process, but yeah. really draw it out and let people yeah. feel like, hey, like, I, I've been walking through this for 30 years. You know, if you want, walk with me through this for 44 days. And so yeah. it was yeah. it was an interesting process. I think there was even, there were even, I started reading last night in preparation to talk with you today. And I was captivating, but I, I think it was like two posts in before you even start to mention um, that, oh, I started feeling like I might have been, or the French kiss is where it really becomes... I don't want to ruin the story, but I, know. I think it's post post six or something. There's yeah. there's a story where um, you're you're getting your first kiss, uh-huh. and it's just really I think that's where it sort of becomes the main issue. And before that, you're talking about the love of your family, the yeah. health of your community, what it's like, you know, your faith in Jesus. So it's really uh, you really did walk us through it in a in a mm-hmm. well paced way, yeah. and yeah. I think that was it was rich. But was there a reason? Like, okay, some some people who are sort of in this arena with uh, sexuality and faith kind of choose to make arguments or like Matthew Vines has a book called God and the Gay Christian, right? Mm-hmm. Was there a reason that as you were dealing with it, you thought, well, the way I'd like to present this to the world is through a mm. real personal story? Yeah. What was your, your reasoning for that? So, uh, So one of the challenges, I think, because this topic is so utterly emotional and explosive. And I would even say it's, it's certainly a taboo yeah. um, in our society. The issue of homosexuality just is. It pulls out emotion from all different sides of the political spectrum. Yeah. It has now been highly politicized. So it's not just about sexuality and gay marriage. Just now there's a political yeah. aspect of it. And so mm-hmm. um, being a closeted person into my 30s, I had a front row seat to watch the culture wars, you know, and I'm like quietly watching like this Christian person kind of lob a, a, you know, ideological hand grenade over this person and they're fighting and the gays are fighting the uh, church. And, and, and it was just terribly distressing for me to watch that and to watch all of that carnage. And so mm. early on, I just said, I want no part of that, that conversation. And yeah. and I, 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 I don't begrudge people who have a more vocal or aggressive style in the way they approach this topic. Yeah. I think, you know, I'm not judging them. They, they can do it in their own way. But for me, um, I want to be known as a bridge builder and, and I having sort of dual citizenship as a Christian evangelical person and a member of the LGBT community and looking at both of those camps and saying, wow, there's fantastic people over here and there's mm. fantastic people over here. And I also believe in the universality of jerks. You know, there's jerks <laughs> in this camp and jerks in this camp. So it's like, you can say amen to that. Yeah. And, and I know that at heart, the majority of these groups want good things for people. They're mm. not devious. They're not. Uh, out trying to marginalize and, and push people down. Again, the majority, there are fringes of those groups that may be doing that. So yeah. so I just mm-hmm. say, you know, I want to come at this from a perspective of kindness um, yeah. and, and good storytelling. Because I'm a big yeah. believer that if in 2017, what I, and as even as, as storytelling even continues to evolve, 
we've got to tell stories in really engaging ways. And so this was my attempt at taking my little story and bringing some life to it, some humor at times. You know, I've, I've incorporated really good photography and hired a yeah. photographer, the whole thing. So yeah. just wanted it to be interesting because I'm like, it doesn't matter how good your story, your content is. If people are bored, you're done. Yeah. And so, um, and I'm sort of a creative at heart. I've been a storyteller most of my life in various capacities. I did creative and marketing stuff for my old company. And so just kind of said, all right, Brett, what tools do you have? Well, you've got this little ability to kind of engage people with a story. Then why don't you just apply that to this one thing that's super dear and personal to you? And then that also required me to sort of overcome my own fear and insecurities yeah. around this was the story that I never wanted to tell. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, if you'd ask 25 year old Brett, are you ever going to tell anybody? Absolutely not. I, yeah. You know, that was the, the scariest yeah. thing to me. So yeah. for me, it was sort of the collision of creative storytelling and me working through my own fear of mm -hmm. what if everyone knows? Why yeah. would you, you know, cause a lot of people counsel me, you know, Brett, don't, don't put this on the internet, you know, so you're going to, you know, you don't want to be viewed that way. And I'm like, I just don't care anymore. And so once yeah. I got over that and I no longer feared what everyone was going to think, it freed me up to actually tell the story how I wanted to tell it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I wow. think because I went to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago for a while, I didn't finish there, but I went there for a while and several of my friends, uh, sort of came out while they were there and mm -hmm. their ways of handling it were all different, right? There are mm -hmm. as many different ways as there are yeah. <laughs> gay people in the world, you know? But uh, uh, often what you'd find for in them is like, hey, they were like, I'm really doing this for me, but I want my privacy. I don't want to become a spokesperson for this because it's so intense internally. And they wanted to, you know, just be able to yeah. relate to people based on normal human stuff and then have, have some safe friendships where they could deal with that. So... And it sounds like you kind of had that for a while, but was there a reason you decided I'm going to go ahead and put my, like myself, my personal history, my family, uh, public, you know, for, for scrutiny? Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the big challenges of this was, um, I kind of got over that for myself. Like mm -hmm. I kind of let go yeah. of, uh, I was at peace with this idea of making, making my story more public. I mean, what you mentioned is so true. My strategy was, I spent five years, what I would call semi-closeted, where I kind of yeah. said, all right, Brett, who are your 25, 50 most trusted people in your life? And I came out to all them in one-on-one -on -one conversations and they they kind of had my back. They were my support network. And yeah. so my, my philosophy in life is care really only about the people that are closest to you when it comes to their opinions. Care about as many people as you can, but only care about what a small number of people actually think about you. And mm. if those people are good folks, wow. and if they respect you and think that you're like a person of integrity, that's all I need. Yeah. I mean, Brene Brown says, make a sheet of paper one inch by one inch and write as many of the names of the most important people in your life on that sheet of paper. Just that those are the people that really matter. Yeah. And so yeah. that was sort of my strategy to say, I'm gonna do this thing um, in my way, but I'm gonna do it in a way that honors these people that are in my community. And if people outside of that don't understand or are critical or wanna criticize, yeah. it's okay. It doesn't yeah. affect me. Mm -hmm. The challenging side of that was, as you mentioned, I had to drag other people in who are part of the story. Yeah. You know, yeah. my family, old friends, and I had to go to them and say, hey, I'm writing this story and you're gonna be a part of it. How oh, do man. you, how can I honor you through this? And so mm -hmm. most people were understanding, um, you know, I, had, I changed a few names a couple times yeah. just because, yeah, yeah. you know, with somebody that I, you know, I mean, you, you referenced a girl that I kissed when yeah. I was like 13. Like, I just didn't want to drag her into it. Now people like <laughs> going to my Facebook page trying to find her, you That know? was the first time you said, we'll call her in the blog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll call her. Yeah, I forget what I've been calling her. And so, um, 
So yeah, and I had read a book about sort of this, is the, the genre of writing this is, is called memoir. And so I'd read a book yeah. about how to do memoir writing well before mm -hmm. this whole thing began. And so that was one of the tips that the author had was, um, you know, honor people in the story. Um, yeah. Anne Lamott, you know, she's one of my favorite authors. She always says, you yeah. know, if, if they won't want to be in your story, they should have behaved better. Oh, uh, man. So she kind of has wow. a like scorched earth policy yeah, where it's that. like, if you did it, if, if yeah. you were, you're going to be in the story and you can't complain because you actually did it. That is not my yeah. approach because I believe in um, honor and respecting people um, before yeah. me just telling a good story. So yeah. I thought I'd, I'd walk that line pretty well. Yeah, are there other, not even in the arena of your story, but are there other memoir writers who have kind of inspired you or who opened your eyes to certain things along the way? Yeah, so uh, Anne Lamott, I think, is yeah. the best. I think she's mm -hmm. one of the best memoir writers alive right now. Um, she has a crazy story. She's sort of this West Coast um, hippie who came to faith later in life and has these terribly controversial um, passages in some of her books. But... Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I just have so much respect for really interesting turns of phrase and people who are yeah. just so creative that you're, you're reading their books and you're, you're thinking, I've, I've never seen anything like this. I've never heard this put this way um, because there's so much cliche out there to yeah. find someone who's really unique is interesting. Um, wow. The second person you guys may be familiar with is a guy named Donald Miller. Okay, uh, yeah. mm -hmm. He wrote a book, Blue Like Jazz, maybe 10 or 15 years ago that was sort of sent ripples through the Christian world mm -hmm. um, because it was just this really refreshing look at faith that wasn't canned and wasn't polished and wasn't cliche. Yeah. Uh, he actually now doesn't do a lot of memoir type writing. He's more into business stuff. But um, but I would say the two of them had an incredible influence on sort of how I viewed That's the awesome. writing process and making it very conversational and as just readable and as down to earth as possible. So Yeah. Man. Well, was there any other like say like a real young Brett in Alabama growing up, do you, do you have a memory of the first book that kind of like that you read that kind of like really had an impact on you? You know, it's funny. A lot of my, um, a lot of my reading like in high school and beyond was kind of in the, again, in the Christian kind of yeah. book world. Um, there's this author named Frank Peretti. I don't know if you guys have heard oh of him. Oh my goodness. So, <laughs> I don't know if yeah, he writes the Cooper books Kids anymore. Adventure series oh, did he write that? Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't even know. Yeah. So he had a he had a book uh, called Piercing the Darkness. Oh, he yeah. had a book called The Oath. <laughs> yes. I've, I've read all of these? those. I've read all. Uh, <laughs> I used to be on the Frank Peretti train when I was like in middle school. I was, I was big into Frank Peretti. Those books were like crack cocaine yes. for me. You know, oh, like terrifying just, too. Oh yeah. I mean, fear, suspense, and they were, you know, mm -hmm. spiritual books but he his they were obviously like allegories and metaphors so yeah, they weren't yeah. really overtly spiritual mm -hmm. but um <laughs> i mean that was the first time i remember just where you you're reading you put it down and like you yeah. go do something and then you want to come back you know and you yeah. just can't uh, you know you truly can't put it down so that's like yeah. my earliest memory of being just like hooked and and yeah. i'm not a big like i said earlier i'm not a big fiction reader but mm -hmm. yeah. um th those definitely engaged so that's all you mentioned um or a little bit earlier about being interested in storytelling your whole life. Is that just, I noticed in your uh, blog, you're an INFP, so that's probably part of it. But like, is there anything that like, I know your father was a pastor. Did he tell a lot of stories? There's something from your past that really got you into the idea of characters and stories and um, creating, yeah. maybe creating empathy in these stories. Yeah, I've really debated this. You know, it, it is my penchant for storytelling or is my buddy who's an accountant, his penchant for numbers, is that a nature or nurture thing? And I've thought about this a lot. And it's funny when I look back, I mean, I... Um, I'm this big believer in if you go back to your childhood, you often can like rediscover the core of who you were that mm -hmm. got lost somewhere along the way. Oh. And so I was going, I, I'm a, I'm a hoarder in some ways. Um, 
I keep all kinds of scraps and uh, notebooks and things from my past. So I have I have plastic bins full of memorabilia, <laughs> literally yeah. back to kindergarten. And so mm -hmm. I found a note that um, my first grade teacher had written my my um, parents. And her name was Ms. Harvey. I went to a little tiny Christian school. And this was back when the teacher would write literally a two-page handwritten note wow. to your parents to kind of report mm -hmm. on your progress. And so she had all these nice words. And she said, this. she said, um, I think Brett would make a good storyteller one day. Oh, he, wow. When he reads stories in class, he knows the right words to put the mm. emphasis on. Wow. And I'm like, oh, I, was seven, I was six years old. <laughs> but this teacher is like, she's identifying and seeing in me this little kind of wow. gift for how mm -hmm. to kind of tell something in an interesting way. Yeah. So so then, you know, I got go through the bins more. I find that. And then I find, you know, more handwritten stories. I mean, I found the yeah. story about this gold miner and his name was like Hank or something. And I'd like <laughs> illustrated, you know. And so, oh so I do think that like, I think I think I was born with a penchant for that. Um, yeah. And then when I look through, you know, even through high school, through college, I was involved in a fraternity, but kind of my role there was a lot of event stuff. So I would mm -hmm. like tell a story about this uh, event that was coming up and I would yeah. do like a marketing yeah. thing for it. And then at my job, I kind of told the story of our company and our brand. So you kind of see this thread woven through life. And so I think for me, um, I think that's incredibly uh, empowering. Yeah, um, I'm yeah. a big believer in cataloging your strengths and your weaknesses. If you're really familiar with what you're bad at and you know what you're good at, it gives you incredible confidence yeah. with mm -hmm. the stuff that you're good at. And it frees you up to not have to worry about the weakness side mm -hmm. of it. So, so yeah. Oh. Oh, it's, it's funny you mentioned that the boxes because I've, they're not at my house, I mean, they're still at my parents, but my mom, my parents came to visit this weekend. She brought this book that I had made or written when I was like eight years old. And so now I've, I've got it at home, but it's like this, like, you know, 10 page, like little, it's a dumb, I mean, I've reread it and it's obviously the worst stuff ever, but it's like <laughs> these kids getting trapped by mummies and like, it's so ridiculous, Yeah. but it's funny. It's like, I, or even early on, like I was just so interested in, in telling stories, but then also the people within them. And it, it's been kind of one of those, like still a prize and improved that much since that story, <laughs> but I was really into that story. There you go. <laughs> so I've got a question about um, the blog and I kind of almost like, question about your intended audience because i know within the christian community there tends to be like a knee-jerk reaction like if they find out oh this guy is gay it's like almost like these buzzwords where like they immediately dismiss somebody or mm -hmm. or kind of like hey we don't you know we don't want to talk to i don't know there's like this immediate sort of dismissal and i feel like the one the one of the at least for me this is my kind of what i got out of your blog one of the powerful parts of your blog is it's kind of like you're almost getting to know somebody building empathy really growing to care for a person. So once they get to the end of this, of the story, it's like, okay, what, what, what do you think now? Like, what do you have to say now? Was that any sort of intention? Like you wanted the reader, the reader, or maybe a Christian reader to really, instead of just having this initial judgment mm -hmm. to really get to know someone and grow to care about this person um, all the way yeah. up until the end, was that sort of part of your desire? Yeah. So I think the, the principle I think you're referencing is, and it's taught in storytelling mm -hmm. classes, the idea of showing versus telling. Yeah. Yeah. Good storytellers show, mm -hmm. uh, bad storytellers tell. So an example mm -hmm. would be, uh, to make this a metaphor, if I tell you, you know, get yourself over there and uh, <laughs> go over to that fence, you mm -hmm. know, and I'm barking you to do that. That's, uh, I'm telling you to do that. Yeah. Uh, a storytelling version of that showing would be, I take you by the hand mm -hmm. and I very gently walk you to the fence, explaining to you what's happening as you mm -hmm. go. And so under that scenario, psychologically, you're more, 
willing to go there yeah. as opposed to being barked at. And I think right now we are consumed because of social media with people barking orders, telling us what to do, how to think, what to believe. Yeah. And so I kind of came into Blue Baby's Pink saying, I don't want to tell anybody anything. Mm -hmm. I'm going to invite them on yeah. the journey. I'm going to put my hand out and say, hey, do you want to walk with me down this path? Yeah. You don't have to. And here's where we're going. Yeah. And let's go. And if, if at any point you don't like it, you can jump off and yeah. you know, not, not read anymore. And so mm -hmm. um, for me, that just kind of leading with empathy, with kindness, um, giving people the space because I knew that how polarizing this issue was, yeah. I think there's even a greater need for grace, a greater yeah. need for humility, understanding, mm -hmm. instead of finger wagging at people saying, you need to believe X, Y, Z. Yeah. Instead say, I don't care what you believe, but I want yeah. to tell you a story and why don't you come along and check that out with me. Yeah. So that was kind of my approach. It was to honor the reader. I'm a big, yeah. a big believer in honoring the reader, yeah. giving them respect, meeting them where they are instead of assuming where they should be or, or finger wagging them into where you want them to be. And so, and so I think my story was me just showing, let me just yeah. show you the emotion of this whole process. Mm -hmm. And because I had taken copious notes, I had literal, yeah. I mean, moments that I'd recorded in painstaking detail and what that felt like, mm -hmm. you know, in 2008 when I was yeah. feeling this certain way on this particular day. And so, yeah. so yeah. That's all. Can you talk, and I'm glad you mentioned that. I know you talk about it throughout your blog, but can you tell us about like how those note taking began, like the inception of, uh, I guess the inception almost of Blue Baby's Pink before you knew it would become that? <laughs> yeah. So I, I just was gripped at some point and I, I would attribute this to God. Who knows? Maybe it was just my mind, but mm -hmm. I was gripped with the, this voice that said, Brett, write everything down, record mm -hmm. all these moments because uh, for a lot of LGBT people, at least it was this way for me, we just get stuck in our heads because you're, you're living this closeted life. Yeah. And there's this whole film reel constantly playing that you can't t tell anybody else about. Yeah. So you're constantly yeah. thinking, second guessing, worrying, wondering, shame here. You know, it's just this entire ecosystem of, of often toxic thoughts. And so for me, it was like it was like this voice said, Brett, write all that stuff down, yeah. you know, just record it. And so that's exactly, I mean, I still have the note. It's 25,000 words over 10 years. Um, some of them are like three words. And then some of them would be like an entire paragraph. Yeah. You know, I recorded gay slurs I heard. I mean, I was mm -hmm. at a bachelor party one time and, and one of my buddies, a good friend of mine, just casually threw out, um, I think gays are the closest things we have to aliens on earth. And I, I remember when he said that and I was like, oh gosh, you know, they had no idea. Wow. And so, but I wrote that down because yeah. not in like a vindictive way of like, no, I'm no. going to get back at him, but just in the sense of like, like one day they're going to know and you're yeah. not going to hear this stuff. Yeah. I was like an undercover spy. Um, yeah. you know, right. I, one other t story I'll tell, I was, um, in like the peak of my loneliness, probably like late twenties of just feeling completely alone and that I would never have a family, never have love, never have kids. I was, I was going on a jog around my neighborhood in Atlanta, a little, uh, community called Dunwoody. And I ran by this, one of these really nice neighborhoods that has like the, the tall brick like walls around it. Mm -hmm. And I walked by and I like get there. I'm sorry. I, I jog by and I get the smell of like laundry. Mm -hmm. You know like that laundry smell, like yeah, the exhaust. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, that smell like instantly triggered me back to like back home. Like when you're a kid and you're playing in the backyard and it was just a very homey, mm -hmm. very homey sort of warm smell from a sensory standpoint. Yeah. But then all of a sudden I was like racked with this feeling of you'll never have that. You'll yeah. never have a home. You'll never yeah. have like this cozy place where, you know, kids and family and, and, a, and a, you know, fire in the fireplace. Yeah. And so I wrote that story down because I'm like, Brett, you just got triggered by a laundry smell wow. that yeah. is like, like, why did a laundry smell just make you mm -hmm. suddenly feel utterly and completely alone? Yeah. So it was just a very um, organic process of just yeah. constantly typing things into my phone. Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask, like, there was a decision to do it on in blog format versus writing a book or... 
or uh, you know some of the other options you had why did you choose the blog why did you choose to go online with it first where uh, people are notoriously awful at responding to things? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I considered doing a book, and I think that's what most people would have done in a traditional sense is yeah. try to, you know, put together a book proposal, take it to a publisher. Um, I just had no interest in that for a couple of reasons. Number one, that process is very long. It's an 18-month, 24-month process. Number two, I would lose some editorial control because once oh, you yeah. get in bed with a publisher, they're going to have some say over what's the title of it. Uh, we don't like this phrase. Let's take that out. I just did not want that. Um, yeah. You know, my thing was, this is my story that is so incredibly personal and emotional to me. I reserve the right to tell it exactly how I wanted it. So, yeah. so that was kind of my reason for doing it myself. Um, and then from a, from a medium standpoint, um, knowing that it was going to live online, I'm a big believer photography, good photography goes yeah. a long way. Yeah. So I wanted people to see me, uh, to see my face, to see, you know, not from a narcissistic standpoint, but from a, if you're reading a story and you're following someone's journey, you need to be able to, uh, human faces are very compelling. And so yeah. I hated the fact that I put so many pictures of myself in the story, but I did it because I wanted people to be able to connect. This guy yeah. is living this story and this is the journey he was on. And so, yeah. um, so I think that standpoint, and then I, I just felt like the story would have more life in a really creative format with words intermingling with photographs as opposed to a 200 page book. Awesome. Were there any, I know, so you you spent some time writing this blog. I know it wasn't all all done beforehand. Was there any, we talked a little bit about memoirs that helped you along the way. Was there anything else as far as like um, authors or books that maybe while you're in the process that helped out at all? Or, or maybe even other blogs too that uh, maybe provided some sort of, I don't know, some sort of um, assistance or information or knowledge that you you kind of ended up utilizing in the blog or... So I think on the emotional side of me getting it, actually getting it written, Brene Brown was incredibly... Mm, um, nice influential if you guys know her you know her uh, a lot of what she writes about is about transparency vulnerability mm -hmm. uh, and there was one phrase in one of her books that she said she just she said you need to be excruciatingly vulnerable mm -hmm. and so I kind of took that phrase and I looked at this story and said okay Brett like what does that look like? What would yeah. it look like for you to write this story in an excruciatingly vulnerable way? Mm -hmm. And so I think I kind of came into it with that as my goal of yeah. like, all right, Brett, be as honest and transparent as you can. Like yeah. tell the story as close to how it happened as you possibly can remember. Mm -hmm. um, so I think from an emotional standpoint, she was an influence. From a practical standpoint, there's a book called The First Five Pages. Mm -hmm. It's a book about writing. I cannot remember the author, but you can Google it. Um, and I read this book a couple years ago and it's, some, somebody told me like this is the best book on writing out there. And I, don't, I wouldn't say that because I haven't read that many, but it's a fantastic book on writing. Mm -hmm. And they, uh, so many principles that he talks about. Um, the principle of subtlety was, some, was a new thing I'd never heard about, about, you know, poor writers just sort of, uh, you know, lavish on the adjectives and the adverbs and, you know, uh, and it's very syrupy and saccharine mm -hmm. and it comes across as fake and forced. And so yeah. he teaches a principle of what does it look like to to tell a story in a subtle way that yeah. sort of draws out the emotion of yeah. people to help them really connect with what you're saying. So I think those two um, influences played a part probably mm -hmm. more than I would, more than I would even think before you asked that question. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure some of the hope, some of the hope of the, um, of the blog was for other people who are feeling that isolation and loneliness yeah. to feel like they weren't alone in the world yeah. anymore. And that's a big function of stories, right? Is yeah. like, we see something that's like us and we're like oh, i'm not alone anymore but what has have you had a lot of people say that to you since publishing have oh, you had yeah. like 
uh, people start to want to tell you their secrets or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is definitely, yes. Uh, lots and lots and lots of people, and it's been awesome. Uh, I really I identified months ago there is a reciprocity to vulnerability mm, that exists. Yeah. When you put yourself out there in an honest and vulnerable way, it's just human instinct for that person to kind of throw it back at you. Yeah. And so, yeah, I've gotten hundreds and hundreds of emails, Facebook messages, Instagram messages. I got a few on LinkedIn, which I think is great. <laughs> um, and everybody's message starts the same way. It's like, hey, Brett, you don't know me, but... <laughs> and then they'll be like, the next sentence will be like, I want you to know, I really like Blue Baby Spink. Thank you for writing it. And then the next yeah. like seven paragraphs yeah. is their story, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. which I love that. Yeah. Like I, oh, yeah. I, I don't need them to like tell me how great it was. It's, it feels good. But like to me, it is such an honor when somebody yeah. feels that much of a connection to your story yeah. that they want to throw it back to you and, and give it yeah. back to you. So, yeah, so many stories of people, um, you know, closeted gay preachers, kids, you know, mm -hmm. connected with my story in such an incredible yeah. way. Yeah. Um, tons of evangelical folks who are kind of in the same boat and don't know what to do. Um, and, you know, for many, I'm the first person they've confided in. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, for others, I'm able to point them towards resources and books. And, you know, I think the awesome. the danger of this, of this kind of situation is you just have to be real careful to not present yourself as an expert or a mm -hmm. guru. And I've been very clear to say, I am not a counselor. I'm not authorized to give you an advice and I'm not even trying to. Um, so yeah. I'm all, I've got, I'm trying to get really good at sort of, again, pushing people towards resources, experts, books that have a lot more wisdom and knowledge, but at the same time being just encouraging to people yeah. and, and thanking them for reading. Cause anytime, anytime anyone gives you their attention these days with all of the amazing, you know, things that you're competing with, Netflix, Twitter, mm -hmm. Facebook, and beyond, um, if anybody gives you a minute of their attention, I consider that a fantastic honor. And so again, yeah. wanting to honor that as much as possible. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, I would, so if you, so now you're in, in, you're connected with all these resources you can send people to when you were in the real, really like in the thick of things feeling lonely, is there something like another book mm -hmm. or another resource other than your own that you know of now that you wish you had known of back then? Um, for me, it was just people. Oh, okay. Um, I'm sure there were books out there. I, I just, for me, I guess maybe it's kind of an emotional person. I don't, I don't typically turn to a book if I'm dealing with something really tough. Yeah. I try to find somebody who's been there yeah. or somebody just to listen. Yeah. Um, you know, I will never forget uh, one of the most memorable conversations in that season where I was out to, again, some close friends. And this yeah. was the first time in life I was able to sit across the table from someone and tell them what it was mm. like to be going through this journey alone. Yeah. And my friend, Ann, we were at a Mexican restaurant in Atlanta one night and I'd come out to her a few weeks before. So I'm still sort of explaining what everything was like. And, and midway through the conversation, she cuts me off and says, she's like, Brett, just stop. She's like, you know, this is not okay. Right. Um, and I was like, what do you mean? She's like, all of this stuff that you went through alone, mm -hmm. it's like, that's not okay. You yeah. should not have had to do yeah. that. And I mean, I completely like lost it because for me, that was the first time somebody acknowledged that this journey I had been on had yeah. been really hard yeah. and that people should not have to live in the closet and live um, in this very toxic shame-based way. And so, so yeah, I'll never forget that moment because, and I, I advocate for other people to do that now. Yeah. I say, just ask people to tell you their story. Yeah. And if, if somebody's experienced injustice soul crushing shame you know bullying sexual assault, whatever it is i think it's really healthy just to tell that person like i want you to know that like i am agreeing with you that that wasn't okay and i yeah. love you i love you in spite of that and yeah. so yeah. for me that yeah. was a moment that was very meaningful that i just to chime, just to kind of echo that i know it's not to compare because it's it's obviously very different but 
growing up, and I have to be careful because this person I'm talking about is still closeted, and I want to be very respectful, but having a very close family member that's gay, and like growing up, like kind of eventually finding that out, and and again, it wasn't even it wasn't even that, that like an embarrassment or like I didn't feel poorly or bad about that person, but just not feeling like I could talk about it, like feeling like people would do that knee jerk judgment. And then finally, and I had to be, I feel really bad because it was probably my like, not mid twenties, but close to mid twenties meeting someone. And, and here's the thing. I, I knew I wasn't like super unique. Like I knew some, what I was going through exists in the world, mm-hmm. but finally meeting someone who had the, exa- the same exact thing. I mean, we, we talked for probably days. I mean, like we, I, I mean, I, I don't know how long, but it was just finally finding someone who could yeah. like commiserate and like knew what we had gone through. You know, like we both had gone through the same thing. And so yeah. it was one of those moments that just, I feel like I, I would try to, I would go to books because I, I just, reading is, you know, that's what I do. But yeah. I feel like nothing, like what you said, I think people is what for me makes a difference. Nothing really fit. Nothing really yeah. did it for me. And finally meeting someone and, and it sounds silly because I know it exists everywhere, but, but meeting someone and being like, and just being able to talk about it was, uh, was, it was huge. And I, it's, it's one of those things I still remember, like <laughs> the entire conversation, you know, yeah. like, and it was probably hours, but it was just so powerful. Yeah. And uh, there was a lot of crying. There was a lot of whatever, but it was just a really big moment. I don't know. Yeah. But that's cool. But anyways, well, but that's one thing I loved about the the blog is I feel like this individual that uh, like, I, um, I want people to, to have empathy. Like, I feel like if I just give this one, if I, I don't, I, I hide it because I don't want people to judge just off the bat. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, I almost want to have a blog for this person. Like, yeah. no, you need to hear <laughs> this person's story, you know? And then also reading your blog, I already knew how much hiding this person was doing. Yeah. And it was, and it was, I mean, I was already so heartbroken, but reading what you had to, what you had to go through and how it was just this ever present yeah. weight on you. It just kind of broke my heart even more and not wanting this person to have to go through that. It was, yeah. it's, it's, and it's still, uh, to this day, it's still just something really heavy on this person. And, um, man, it's just, mm-hmm. it just kills me. And yeah, and it was a great, the blog was a great opportunity to kind of send it this person's way. And I don't know if, if it did anything, but, um, just to kind of be that encouragement and be like, Hey, here's, here's, uh, here's other voices and yeah, stuff. It's cool. Anyways. So thank you. Love thank it. you for your blog. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Well, right. I do. I I have oh, our yeah. bonus question oh, for today. Yes, bonus absolutely. Question. So oh, this is great. I I want to say first, I've loved this conversation. I really appreciate what you're doing on the blog yeah. because there are a lot of people who find themselves between the Christian and LGBT communities, yeah. and it's a really difficult place to stand. And then to not only stand there, but also become public, like yeah. a public voice yeah. of, hey, I'm part of both of these yeah. communities. This is my story. I think is a really important thing to do and valuable. So thanks for cool. for being here. This bonus question is silly Good. compared to what we just <laughs> talked about. So. Light it up a little bit. All right. You're from a small town in Alabama. Correct. In your best small town Alabama voice, tell us why we should read Blue Baby's Pink. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You guys are making me, like, diss my roots. Uh, no, it's affectionate. <laughs> Well, well. <laughs> see, I, I, all right, here we go. Oh, this no. is bad. People are going to get mad at me. We can go a different direction if you want. Let's but. say it's, I'll use my best West Virginia voice. Let's okay. say that. That way I can like put it on, on another Southern outpost and not my own people. Okay. Well, y'all, uh, about a year ago, I wrote this thing called Blue Baby's Pink. 
Uh, it's, it's on the internet, and if you'll check it out, it's got a lot of things. It's, it's got some stuff about the homos on there. It's about the Christians, the gays, but you know what? It's pretty interesting. I like this guy. I think he's pretty, pretty, pretty nice, and I learned a thing or two. Check it out at bluebabiespink.com. That was great. Yeah, I'm wow. going to go check it out now. I didn't yeah. know. The southern part of me was still like, I don't know if this is going to resonate. I now cringing. I know it will. I'm cringing at what I just had to do. So, but, oh, go ahead. Before we, before we, uh, before we say goodbye, can you, uh, and after that, I don't know if we can follow that, but can you uh, give us some places? I know Blueberry's Pink, but there's other ways we can find you online, um, other places where you're at, stuff you're up to, maybe some upcoming events. Yeah. So I'm uh, pretty basic online. I'm just my name, Brett Trapp. Uh, with three T's in the middle on Instagram, <laughs> Twitter, and Facebook. Um, I am working on brettrap.com, which will have uh, cool. some stuff on there, but it's not quite finished yeah. yet. But um, eventually you can check that out. But other than that, yeah, I've got a few projects I'm working on in the future. Um, awesome. I I've been talking a lot to parents of LGBT kids mm -hmm. and I'm learning a lot and listening a lot. And so I've uh, been kind of exploring what would it look like to put together a resource yeah, um, yeah. for parents because yeah. that's they have their own journey that they're on yeah. uh, that's incredibly challenging and um, and tough as well. So wow. so yeah, doing that and then I kind of have my consulting stuff as well, awesome. um, but that's related more to business kind of stuff. So I'm excited to see what because I know you talked about your love for storytelling and Blue Pink. I've always been. And you don't have to obviously answer this at all, but I, I'll just say I'm excited to see what's next because I don't feel like this is like your life's thing blue baby's mm -hmm. pink i feel like there's so much more you've got and so yeah. i'm just excited where that Thanks. takes you and how you encourage others to to share their stories so cool thank you we're very excited i appreciate it well uh we also oh sorry go ahead oh also really thankful <laughs> to atlanta vintage books for yeah. having us oh, here yeah. um we all three have been here as customers and we're glad to be here uh absolutely recording this conversation as well now if you uh come into the store and say that Ian and Tim sent you, they will give 10% off of yeah. your purchase price. So so come on into the store, Man. say Tim and Ian sent me, or Ian and Tim, they'll take either one, yeah. and they'll give you a 10% uh, discount. We really want to build a community in this place of people Absolutely. who can talk about ideas and uh, and share their love for books. Yeah. And you know, So pick up a couple books next time you're here and say we sent you. And also, if you want to visit us online, we would love to hear from you. Our website is whatareyoureadingpodcast.com. And from there, that's kind of our launching point for everything else that we do. Facebook, um, Instagram, Goodreads. You can email us. And we love to hear uh, any sort of feedback, not only how we're doing, but then also tell us what you're reading. And uh, we're going to try to, at some point, once we start getting feedback, like actually talk about that about that on air. We want to keep this as um, close to audience as possible where, yeah. where you can you can really we can kind of get involved in this together so yeah. uh thank you so so much for listening we really appreciate it yeah we want to close with this book quote from the great marilyn robinson i wish it were her voice saying this but i'll go yeah. ahead and read it <laughs> i've developed a great reputation for wisdom by ordering more books than i ever have time to read and reading more books by far than i learned anything useful from except of course that some very tedious gentlemen have written books thanks for listening <laughs>